So we have been in uh, Romans now for about 14 weeks, um, which means that you have spent about as much time reading Romans as sort of an average college class. You have literally taken pretty much a college course on the first eight chapters of, of Romans minus all of the, the readings and homework. And so I thought what would be really good as we wrap up, this is our last Sunday uh, doing Romans. Um, next Sunday is Christmas, and we've got a really cool uh, service uh, planned there, and then Ministry Resolution Sunday, and then we're going to enter back into our King series. Um, and so I thought it would be good for us to kind of go over one last time all of the things that we've talked about, but by now I have done so much uh, talking about this, I thought it would be great if I just, you know, I mean, what's a college class without a pop quiz? And so I'm just going to go through the words, and if you can give me 30 seconds of, of what each word means, just call out your name, so Kristen... I saw her here today. There you are. Imputations, where we'll start. And uh, just, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding right now. I was hoping she would look like a deer in headlights, and that is exactly what I got. That was awesome. I'm just kidding. I'm absolutely kidding. <laughs> but um, hopefully this has been an encouragement to you. Hopefully, um, as we walk through it, it will refresh it in your memory, and you will capture a few of the ideas here, even if you don't remember all of the different words we've gone through. Through the past several weeks, I've encountered and had very intense conversations with with many of you who are really wrestling with life right now. And I don't know if it's the holidays or just the time or what's going on. Maybe it's the the lack of sunlight, but there's a lot of struggles that are happening uh, in in our church I have conversations with people about uh, Christians, uh, people who are faithful Christians who are wondering, am I, am I really saved? Um, am I really set right with God? I have others who are wondering, and I've talked with who are wondering, is God still kind of angry with me? Is he sort of waiting for me to do something wrong so that he can, like, smite me? Like, you know, uh, I do something wrong, and, and I'm going to get bronchitis next week or something. Like, what's, you know, what's going to happen to me because I'm not quite what God wants me to be. We have other people who I'm watching you and you're not complaining or doing anything, but I'm watching you and you're involved in like every single thing that we do. And you're thinking to yourself, because I can hear your inner monologue, having known you well enough, that if I read one more book or say one more prayer or get involved in one more ministry, God will love me once to just one, just a little bit more. Like somehow I could earn just a little bit more of God's love and attention. We have other people whose families are really wrestling, and they're wondering and asking the question, is God really for me at all? Because things are really rough right now. Things are really bleak right now. And I'm wondering, does God, is God even here? One of the things that I hope to get out of this uh, series is that you will hear that God is for you, not against you. We have to begin at the beginning, though, uh, I learned a verse when I was, uh, uh, I don't remember, when I was a kid. First um, John chapter 2, verse 17, For the world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God will live forever. The first half of that verse um, is just kind of, it's entropy, right? I mean, if you ask a scientist, what, tell me the second law of thermodynamics, right? Things are breaking down. No one disagrees with that. We see it in the world around us. We see it in our own bodies. We see it, you know, it, when you buy something. Like, everything is, is breaking down. The world and all of its desires, everything that we want, all of that stuff, it's passing away. And yet there is this promise on the second end of that verse. And that's the, that's the critical point. That's the difficult spot for the man who does or the woman or the person who does the will of God. They have a chance to, to, sh- to, to shake off entropy and to live, uh, to live forever. 
Um, And that's an incredible promise. That God is saying uh, throughout the scriptures and throughout history as the scriptures are, are sort of describing history in that place and in those times that God is going to re-energize the world. He is going to resurrect it, the dead, the creation, everything that we see there is going to be resurrection and the resurrection, not death, has the final word. Joy, not pain, has the final word. Life, not sickness, has the final word, and yet, and yet we read that God's wrath is being revealed. Romans 1, we, we started off there, and this whole thing began with this word, very unpopular today, no one really likes it a whole lot, but this word, wrath. Uh, and, and what I tried to describe to you is that it isn't that God is a God of wrath, like internal quality to God is that God is walking around angry at you all the time, but rather it's that God's response to our sin is one of wrath is one of frustration and anger. And you might have experienced it. If you have kids, you've experienced this and just growing up, just in our lives we experience this. If Emery comes home Monday after school and says, you know, this, this kid pushed me and called me names and kicked snow on my face, like, I want to know who this kid is. And then I want to know where his family is, right? I don't care if this kid's in a wheelchair. I'm coming for him or her. <laughs> Right? We, we understand this because you get this, this righteous indignation. You want to fight for your kids. You want to fight for somebody who's being oppressed. You feel that intensity. Imagine from God's perspective, God's holiness, God's righteousness, God's perfection, and he looks at the world. In fact, in, in, in Romans chapter 3, we read this. We read that... Um, Sorry, Romans chapter 2, we read in verse 16 that there's going to come a day according to the gospel. Now, this is important because there are people in Christians and churches and, and church denominations out there that are saying, uh, forget about judgment, forget about wrath, forget about hell, forget about all of these things. You know, that's old style, fire and brimstone stuff. No, this is critical to the gospel. It is critical to the gospel that the first half of 1 John 2.17 is true. The world and its desires are passing away. All of this stuff is going away. And it says that on the day when all of that stuff finally completely goes away when it passes away god is going to judge us according to our secrets by christ jesus feel the weight of that for just a second god is going to judge us not according to what chuck knows about me and not according to how uh carl feels about me and not according to all of the different dirt that Laura, I mean, if you, if you said, hey, Laura, give us the dirt on Jordan, I mean, she, you don't have enough time in the day. She can just go. Not according to what people know, but according to my own secrets. The things that no one knows about. The thoughts that I don't tell anyone according to my secrets. And not according uh, to the way that I would even perceive myself. Because even though, you know, we might say to ourselves, well, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm not perfect or anything, but I'm a pretty decent person. We're not judged by our own perspectives of ourselves or our mama's perspective of ourselves or even all of the awards or accolades that you might have uh, achieved in your professional or private or uh, academic life. You are judged by Christ Jesus. His holiness, his perfection, he who walked our earth experienced all our temptations, and yet he is called without sin. We are judged by our secrets and by the holiness of Christ. Now, who comes through that unscathed? Surely not me. Surely not me. 
And so God's wrath is being revealed. It's being revealed in the way that we treat each other. It's being revealed as we continue in our sin and as we interact with one another and as we continue to keep sin upon sin upon sin upon sin. And God steps back and says, fine, live according to your own ways. Live according to your own rules. Destroy yourselves. And then on one day, finally he will come and he will judge. And so we ask ourselves an important question. How do I get to the second half of that verse? How do I get to the second half of that verse where the man of God who does the, the man who does the will of God might live forever? How do I get there? By ourselves, it's impossible. And yet, as we've been working through Romans, we've seen that this word saved, which is so beautiful and so wonderful and so needed and so desired by those of us who have ears to hear, is only accomplished through Jesus Christ. And it begins with his propitiation. Where is it? Well, we got these things messed up. This should be here and here, and but Jesse did it, so we'll blame. <laughs> Throw her right under the bus. She'll listen to this tomorrow, and I'll hear about it. Spit is in my coffee, first thing. Propitiation, that is that the wrath, the punishment that we deserve, Jesus takes. He takes our sin, and then in a transaction, he gives us imputation. He takes and he hands off his righteousness to you, so that when Jesus, or when God looks at you and says, is this person just, are they, are they pure and perfect enough to enter into the kingdom of God? Do they belong in my presence? Of course, just as I am now, just as myself, no. But since my sin has now been put on Jesus, and I have put on Jesus' righteousness, he sees Jesus, not me, and says, this person, this guy, is justified. He can stand in my presence. He can stand righteous before me. And yet we have this wonderful, and I, I'm kind of proud of this illustration because I've never heard it used before, and I like it a lot. As President Obama leaves his office, he is going to, or probably will, they usually do, pardon people. He'll say, you know, this person is justified. I'm, they get them out of jail, they're free. We, we, we won't count their, their crimes or their sins against them. And yet this person is, who, who, who President Obama justifies is probably not going over for Christmas dinner, right? I mean, they're not like best friends now. But God is wonderful in that he not only wants to justify you, he not only wants you to be right before him, and so he gives up his own son and gives you his son's righteousness, but he... Uh, he reconciles you to himself. He wants a relationship with you and so that we might be called the sons and daughters of God, that we might be in his presence that we read in Revelation, in this renewal of all things, in this re-energizing of all things, there might be somebody in our midst who wipes away every tear from our eyes, who brings us comfort, who brings us joy. And so not only do we then receive reconciliation, or not only do we receive justification, but we receive an embrace from God, reconciliation. We are right with God. He is our, our friend and our father. And what can we call all of this? We said the word that this great Bible word is, is grace. Because what did you do to earn all that? Not a thing. It is entirely based upon the grace of God. And so what does God do in his grace? He frees us. So our, our next word was freedom, where we are freed from sin and from the devil and from death. We are freed from all of the consequences of the world, all of the entropy, all, the, all of that, but also all of the things that we're busy about doing even in our lives that are, are, are sinful. We're given freedom. And then the next word is a beautiful word, sanctification. That Holy Spirit comes in us. We read in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the forgiveness of your sins. 
you receive the gift of the Spirit. And so the Spirit comes in and lives with us and begins to move us closer and closer to God that I I let go more and more of the world and its desires, those things that are passing away, and I put on more and more and more of the, the holy things, the good things, the things that are qualities of God, the fruit of the Spirit. Slide plug into my Sunday school class, which we're studying right now. The fruit of the Spirit with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, all these different things that are qualities of God. He's giving to us while we set aside anger and, and malice and, 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 and envy and greed and, and sexual immorality and all these, these things. We grow in sanctification closer and closer to God, giving us our last word on the umbrella, victory in Jesus. Wow, that was a marathon, Right? That's a lot. So every time you use the word saved, I want you to remember that just that, that 10 minutes I just went through. <laughs> I want you to remember that. All of that is what it means for you to say, I'm saved. Saved, though, has a past, a present, and a future kind of tense to it. I was saved in the sense that Jesus saved me, and then, of course, in baptism, things like that. I am being saved currently as I continue in sanctification, but there's also a future session, uh, section of that. So the present and the future part of the saved is the giftedness, as we called it, of God, that I have union with Christ, really unified with Christ, both practically and mystically, so that, and I described it this way, when you go through a bad day, anybody have a bad day this week? This week rough on anybody? Oh, good weeks. All right. Praise God. Maybe you've had a bad day in the past then. You've had a bad day, and you've said to somebody, man, this is a bad day, and that person says, man, I'm sorry. I feel for you. I'm having a bad day too. Or maybe they're even going through the exact same thing you're going through, and they can say, I know what you're talking about because I've experienced that too right here, right now, and you can empathize with that person, and yet that person will never know exactly how you feel. They don't have your history. They can't experience your emotions. You don't have that kind of connection with them. And so you can share as much as you can share, but there is always an impasse. There's always a wall between underst- me understanding someone, even somebody I'm intimate with, like Laura. I, I, I know so much about her. I can, I can kind, of, kind of feel what she feels, but never feel what she feels. And yet because of the work of Jesus Christ in saving a people and filling us with his Holy Spirit, when we have union with Christ, Christ feels what we feel because the Spirit that is in us is the same spirit that is in him. And so when you go to God in prayer and you say, God, I am really broken, God not only says, I can empathize, he can say, I know. I know. So we have union with Christ so that we might also be called the sons and daughters of God, adopted by God, and people in the present and in the future hopefully will look at you, and I got to use myself as an example there, being adopted, that I look like a horn. If, you, if you've ever seen my biological dad, I look like a horn, but I sure act like a calicut, and because that's, that's, that's who I am, that's who, who sort of has continued to infuse life into me and characteristics into me. And as we get closer and closer to God, that, that infusing power of the Holy Spirit moves us closer and closer to him so that not only are we united with him, but we're adopted in him so that we are the sons and daughters of God. And when people see us, they see that we're human. They see we look like them. We might have the same color skin, might use the same language, but they say, you act like someone else, something else. I don't even know what's going on with you. You're so different. And all of this leads to future glory, glorification. That us, that we not only take on the um, moral and uh, ethical and actionable things that Jesus did, 
but we'll also become physically like Jesus. So that as we grow in these ways, we become more and more like Jesus. That was an amen. If you were charismatic, you guys would get that. You'd be like, yeah, preach. Um, as, we, as we get... Uh, She's fine. This is the only response I'm getting this whole time. I've been going for 15 minutes. That's all I've got. Keep her. That's fine. I love the kids. They're fine. That tells us there's life in the church, yes? Yeah. So, where was I? We not only become morally like Jesus, but we will become physically like Jesus as well. Um, and then here's our, here's our last word. The, the good word, right? If we... If we characterize all of this stuff, we might use the word love. Love. If you turn in your Bibles and and look at our passage today, I just want to go through this. It's really a cool passage because what we have here is a series of rhetorical questions. You remember when you got in trouble and your mom said, "Did did you do this? And you knew you were supposed to be quiet because everybody knew you already did it. And all you could do is lie and get yourself in more trouble. Rhetorical question. Okay? So Paul asks some, a series of rhetorical questions. He says, if you have this in mind, like looking at propitiation and imputation and justification and looking at freedom and victory and sanctification and glory, looking at, at union and adoption and being glorified in Jesus Christ, looking at all of this, what can we say? If God is for you, who could be against you? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's a powerful question. What should we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be? If you're here today and you're wondering, could God love me? Or if you're here today and you're wondering, does God love me enough to forget what happened yesterday, even though I, I, I want to push on beyond it? Or if you're wondering here today, where is God in all of this mess? And things that just seem, everything around me seems to be pressing in and, and falling apart. And what, where is God in all of this? I think the scripture here is asking the question, if God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give to us graciously all the things? If I um, chose to save you, the bus is coming breakneck pace and I choose to save you instead of Emery what more can I do to show you that I love you if I choose to save you before I save Laura Nugget what what more can I do to prove to you that I want you to be a part of my life Paul is saying look at all of this And ask yourself the question, if God is for us, then who could possibly stand against you? If God, who didn't spare his own son, but sent his son to to rescue you, to, to save you, then how will he not also rescue you and save you? Not saying that clouds are going to get any lighter right now. Not saying life is going to get any easier right now. But in the end, the second heart, half of 1 John uh, 2.17 will ring true for us. God who has in store something for something 
has in store for us the same things he has in store for Jesus. Resurrection and life. God has in store for you resurrection and life. This year we sort of, um, as I was thinking of this text, I was thinking about this, this graciously uh, giving all good things. And I was, I was thinking about, I was thinking about um, how he gave Jesus resurrection and how we are hoping for resurrection. Of course, the holidays are probably bringing up people that you've lost. I was thinking about um, the, the two people that sort of hit hardest for me since I've been here, uh, Rob and Grandma June, who God has in store for them resurrection so that one day Grandma June will give me her opinion again whether I want to or not. <laughs> want to hear it or not? I'm just, we're going to get it. And Rob's going to be talking through the whole thing, right? He's just going to keep on talking. This is what God has in store for us. If God fulfills his promises through Jesus and we see him give Jesus up, he'll fulfill his promises to you and rescue you Paul asks another question. He says, uh, who will then bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? Who's going to bring a charge against you? Now, you might, uh, you might bring a charge against yourself and say, well, I'm a terrible person. And you might hear somebody else say, well, you're a terrible person. And, and you might, uh, might even have, you know, as one day, Satan himself say, you're a terrible person. And all of these charges might sort of mount up, but when it's before the judge, the judge who is already justified, who can bring a charge against you? Who can lay something at your feet and say you're guilty when God, the judge of all things, says, no, do you see all this stuff? You're justified. You're reconciled. You're pardoned. You're innocent. I like this word, uh, chosen. Some of your Bibles might say elect. They're the same, the same Greek word. That is, in terms of adoption, you think of, you're thinking of myself, the Calicuts picked me. They didn't have to. They chose to. You are God's chosen. God has called you, right? If you have any doubt about your purpose, if you have any doubt that you have a place, if you have any doubt that God has something for you to be up to, let this ring in your mind. You've been picked. You've been redeemed. You've been called. You've been justified. You've been glorified. All of these things are yours, as we read earlier on in Romans. So who can speak a charge against you? No one. God justifies. Who could then condemn you? Who could say, well, you have no place here. Get out. No one, right? Why? Because Christ has died. More than that, he is raised to life. And he is at the right hand of the Father. That is, not only did he die and go into the tomb and come out of the tomb, but he ascended to the right hand of the Father. So what accusation could come against us and condemn us and remove us from the hand of God? Nothing. Nothing, because God is the one who has redeemed us. And then, his last question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble. Anybody getting any trouble here today? Where's that baby at? I need some noise. <laughs> Shall trouble? Shall hardship? Anybody have any hardship here today? Now, these are the two that probably hit heaviest for us. Uh, trouble and hardship are kind of where we, where we live uh, in, in this place of, of kind of privilege. Um, but he goes on to say persecution. 
or famine or nakedness. Thank God we're not dealing with that here this morning. (laughs) Or danger or the sword. And then he quotes an Old Testament passage. He says, for your sake, we face death all day long. So it's for God's sake, because they've placed their faith, their confession, their life in God. They are facing persecution. They're facing death all day long. We are considered as sheep who are led to the slaughter. Like you just bring the sheep in. What's the sheep going to do to stop it? What gun does the sheep carry, right? I mean, the sheep's got nothing. It's going in there and its throat is going to be slit. That's the end. We are like sheep being led to the slaughter. Is this going to separate us from God? His answer is no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors for those. um, We're more than conquerors. Now, I have to stop over here for a second just because I know that we, could, we, can, we can hover on a trial or trouble, uh, uh, even tribulation, these things that we do experience here in our lives. But I want to remember this morning that as we are having our Christmas uh, celebrations, um, whether they're here or elsewhere with your family, they probably will include uh, food and joy and gifts and Bing Crosby and the Christmas story and, and all of these other other th- I saw that face. The Christmas story is a great movie, all right? Repent right now. Oh, it was Bing Crosby? You were- okay, good. All right, okay. Very good. It's all right. You're forgiven. There are Christians during our Christmas celebrations in North Korea and in China who are in labor camps, forced labor camps, who are dealing with uh, beatings and with nakedness, and with famine or lack of food, who are starving to death. We can read their stories. We know all about them, and it continues even to this day. Why? For a single reason. They will not deny Jesus Christ. We know that during our Christmas celebrations, which will be full of, of so much joy and happiness and, and full bellies and full tables, even the poorest among us will probably have a, a full table. We know that there are Christians in Egypt and in India And in Russia, who will be meeting in their churches and wondering when a gang will burst in and beat, rape, and or kill them. We know that there are going to be Christians who are hiding the very facts as much as they can. That they are Christians uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan and, and, and Saudi Arabia. Because the government itself, if it finds them will have them executed, put them on trial. And you know what Christians do? It's a bizarre thing in Egypt um, where uh, to be a Christian is to, to die. When you become a Christian, you tattoo a cross on your wrist so that no one could ever doubt that you're a Christian. You can't even hide it. It's so important to them that they wear it in the face of this trial and this persecution. And I don't say these things to make light of the things that you're engaged with. The sickness, maybe cancers in your family, maybe your children aren't walking in the faith and you're, you're wrestling with them, or maybe it's just a contentious, you just have a tough family life. I mean, I, I'm not saying those things don't matter, but what I'm saying is that these scriptures are talking about the worst situation you could be in, and it says scandalously, it, it, facing Boko Haram, you are more than conquerors. Now, if you stop for a second, you would say, that's a really weird thing to say. 
Because facing Boko Haram, you can only hope, and hope for two things. One, that a drone strike is going to take them out first. Or two, that your army is bigger than theirs. And all of these Christians don't have that. In fact, the New Testament doesn't even talk about that. In fact, when the New Testament talks about persecution, it says you overcome by the word of your testimony. That is, you say, I'm a Christian and the blood of the Lamb. That is, Jesus' death. It's scandalous. That is completely other, that is completely unknown, and that is completely contrary to everything that stands out in the world around us. We'd say, you're not conquering. You guys are getting led like sheep to the slaughter. You're being, you're being killed for Jesus. All you got to do is deny him, and we'll give you all the stuff that you want. You can enter in society and live at peace with everything. And Paul says, no, it doesn't matter what you face, what trial, what hardship, what sickness, whether sword or nakedness or famine or persecution, whether death itself, what are you? You are a conqueror. You cannot be defeated because death didn't defeat Jesus. It cannot stop you. You rise above it and beyond it. We should be the one people in the world who are willing to love even if it means we die because what is death to us? What is death to us? So we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if we are very honest about this, as we should be, this is all wrapped up in hope. And it is all wrapped up in faith, And it is all wrapped up in this clarion call from the Spirit. That if we're walking according to the faith, we are covered in the blood of Jesus. And we can use that word, I am saved, knowing all that it entailed. All of its depth and all of its struggle and all of its meaning. And we can see all of the extra giftings that are laid on top of that word that we might be in union and adopted and, 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 and given glorification one day. And that all of this is wrapped up in that blessed verse that you all know so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So as we move forward into this blessed week, thinking and looking toward the end, toward the Christmas Eve and the Christmas Day, and, and remembering the incarnation of Jesus, that God took all of his eternity. I appreciate so much Rick describing the universe and all of its hugeness and complexity. All the, the God who made all of that crammed himself into the flesh of a man and walked our dirty roads and lived amongst our dirty lives so that we could be called the sons and daughters of God. Isn't that a beautiful thing? If this is a call or something that you, you have never responded to, if you need to become a Christian today, I invite you to come forward and, and we'll pray with you and we'll work with you and we'll talk with you. If you need prayer for any other reason, just this season is really hard and you just need somebody to pray with you, experiencing a loss or a struggle, we invite you to come forward as well. We'll have elders down front to pray with you. So we encourage you to come forward as we stand and sing this song.